This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Learn more about how the accurate virtual crime center can help you solve more crime and find non-obvious connections at risk.lexisnexis.com backslash A-V-C-C. Hello and welcome back and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, today I'm speaking with Chief James Small, Public Safety Director with the Village of Palmyra, Wisconsin. Chief Small has a career in law enforcement and teaching. He's developed a leadership program that anyone in an organization can benefit from called ISLAND, and that stands for Inclusion, Safety, Laughs, Authentic Accountability, nourishment and direction. He recently won the 2020 Innovative Approach to Problem Solving Award by the Wisconsin Policy Forum. Welcome, Chief James Small. Well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk about this. So uh, a 2016 Bureau of Justice Statistics reports the following from uh, BJS statistician uh, Shelley Hyland uh, talks about um, the breakdown of law enforcement agencies and uh, talks about the fact that local police departments employed about 468,000 full-time sworn officers in 2016. Of the 50 largest departments, about two-thirds had fewer full-time sworn officers per 10,000 residents in 2016 than 1997. About 3% of local police departments serve populations of 100,000 or more, and they employed 52%. More than two-thirds, 71% of local police departments served populations for less than about 10,000 residents. And the village of Palmyra is somewhat on the small side at under 2,000 residents. You run a public safety department of combined cross-trained police, firefighters, and EMS personnel. So tell us a little bit about your background, your experience, and what took you on the road to Palmyra? I started as an EMS provider in 1993 and became a firefighter in 1994 um, while I was still in high school and went on to... um, go to college, got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and became a law enforcement officer in 1998. Um, progressed through a variety of different positions. I've been a criminal investigator, I've been a shift supervisor and so on, and then became a um, police and fire chief for a municipality in the Northern part of the state. Um, left that, went into consulting with a friend of mine doing public safety personnel consulting where we focused on hiring. We found that we had been really good at that in our roles as leaders and organizations and brought that to helping other organizations do their hiring and recruitments and things like that. While I was doing that, um, the village of Palmyra had hired a consultant to help them recruit for their director of public safety position. And that person had made contact with me and uh, convinced me that I had a skill set that could really help this community. That's terrific. So usually we're talking with uh, agencies that are, um, you know, large metropolitan agencies. What, what, is the, what are the challenges to a, a small side uh, agency, um, you know, a dozen officers um, 
with another dozen or so in, in your fire and EMS side, what, what are the challenges you're coming across uh, where you don't have the resources that a large agency may have? Well, I think resources are, are a huge issue. The other um, issues that was being encountered was retention because it was just designed to be a stepping stone. And um, so if you look back over the previous 20 years, you look at, we have a, the equivalent of, let's say seven positions, seven full-time positions, but we've had 64 police officers work there over the last 20 years. Now in the past almost four years, there hasn't been turnover and added to that number. But prior to that, it was just a constant um, churn of people. There's a number of different other issues too. There historically, um, things hadn't been going well for for quite some time. There had been a lot of um, leadership challenges within the department, within the community at large. There had been, just a variety of different things. And it was because of the nature of where the community is located about 20 miles from everywhere, it had become very isolated. It was almost like looking at like, maybe like Australia breaking away from the landmass and evolving on its own for millions of years without outside interference, where there wasn't partnerships, there wasn't um, collaborations going on with other agencies like human services department or the district attorney or things like that. So, you come to a, a small agency, but it wasn't quite the idyllic um, small village that we might think of. And I've watched your YouTube video. And I'll get to a, your your award in a second, but I, I watched a YouTube video where you mentioned an eighty seven percent drop in crime. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, when when I arrived. Um... The community by and large was not supportive of the law enforcement in the community. There had been um, a drive prior to my arrival to disband the policing function of the village government and contract either with the county or another entity. Um, One of the complaints I heard was that they're just not nice to us. They're, you know, they're, they're being vindictive. They're looking to pay us back for things and the people just didn't view by and large policing as being legitimate. There was individual officers who were very clearly viewed as legitimate and had really engaged the community well on an individual basis, but the department as an organization had done a really poor job of doing that. So part of what what we did is we um, started looking at it from a different perspective, started chasing outcomes would be the, the best way to, to look at it. And how do we create this effect that um, people like and are seen as legitimate. So we had to start with the people we were hiring. So sometimes having a high rate of turnover isn't a bad thing hmm. because it gives you the opportunity to target certain um, characteristics. So we went through a strategic planning process and internally came up with the idea of the kind, compassionate problem solver being the employee that we wanted within the public safety department as a, as a whole. And when we designed our recruitment, that's what we targeted. We targeted kind, compassionate problem solvers. Now, when you bring in people like that who then go out into the community and start engaging the population, um, people like that they're nice. They're okay with getting the huge speeding ticket from the person if the officer was nice to them when it happened and they see you as legitimate and respect you and will come and tell you about all the other bad things that their friends did. So we started targeting certain offenses like unlicensed drivers, things that um, like that, that there was a lot of in the community and things that we could get a handle on. So kind of picking the low, low hanging fruit. Mm. And then um, 
making a, um, a workplace and an interaction with the community that we wanted. Because we wanted the side effect of this to be crime goes down and we're seen as legitimate, but we really had to hire the right people. And then you have to lead them a certain way too. And that's where this idea of the island comes from is we had to build a workplace environment that people wanted to come back to every day. Now, we didn't have the resources to buy our way out of some of the problems that we had. So we had to create a workplace that made the staff not want to go look for a different job. Mm. If you come to work and you like what you're doing, you're not going to spend all your off-duty time looking for a different job. So that's where I think our retention came in is that the staff likes coming to work and they can see the effect of what it's doing in the community and they see, see the, the good effects and get that positive reinforcement now that they're seen as legitimate. Mm. Okay, that sounds, that's interesting, especially in times where you might have um, officers uh, thinking about um, where they stand in their department and, and leaving maybe the metropolitan cities for smaller venues. So uh, it sounds like you have a more personal relationship with your troops. You know, you know everyone who works for you. Do you spend time with them? You jump in a radio car now and then? I, I cover shifts on a fairly regular basis right now. Yeah, it's not unusual for me to be out on, on calls with the staff. That's the nature of the beast. When you're in a small department, you're going to be a working chief and you're going to, you're going to be out there with them and, and being part of it. But as you make decisions, even within the, the workplace, having them be included in that decision-making like scheduling, for instance, we're looking at doing a scheduling revision. I have a staff meeting coming at the end of this week where we're all going to sit around the table and they're going to figure out what the schedule needs to look like rather than me sitting in an office and saying, this is how it will be. And you will do this. Because I don't know um, how to make that work well for them. They're the ones doing it every day. So by putting that in their, in their shoulders, I think we're going to get a lot better result. Mm -hmm. And it gives them control over their working conditions, which I think is something that, especially when you start looking at the millennials and younger, that's something we see all the time is they want flexible scheduling. They want things like that. But by giving them this option of, okay, you still have to work nights and, and weekends and holidays, right? This is policing yeah. 24-7. But giving them a say in how that happens and what that looks like, I think is really important. And it's been very good for us. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about you, the success, the 87% the reduction in crime based on sort of broken windows policing, going to the, the low-hanging fruit, as you described, or the low-level offenses and um, you know, as long as you were uh, compassionate and, and um, respectful, but um, your officers, do they live in town? How do they get along with the, the residents if they're their neighbors, right? It's, it's a small community. And um, um, do you ever get feedback from the officer saying, hey, you know, this is my neighbor. You, you're making me, you know, pull them in for a DUI or uh, what's, what's that like? Um, at different points, we've had officers that lived in the community. Right now, we have one staff member that lives immediately in the community, and the rest of them are living 20, 30 minutes outside the community. Um, we're very active within the community. We attend a lot of community events. On-duty staff are expected to get out of the car and, and interact with people and so on. Well, you know, one of our overreaching goals of the department is that every single person that lives in the community knows one of the officers by name. And they can say, hey, I talked to John, I talked to Paul, I talked to Ben, and so on. And they know who these people are. And I think that's really important 
when you're talking about building legitimacy to the department because they can put a face with the name. It doesn't, it's not just, oh, the police did this. It's no, I can go and I can talk to this person. I know them and I trust them and I know they're going to do right by me because they were nice and so on. So they might drive by the little league game. And the next thing you know, that we've got an officer out of the car pitching for the little league game and <laughs> things like that. And that's something that's been really well received by the community and it doesn't cost us anything. None of these ideas that we've implemented cost us anything because we didn't have any money to buy them. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I want to take a, a moment to acknowledge our sponsors and uh, we'll be right back. Accurate Virtual Crime Center helps accelerate your investigations by finding connections between public records and nationwide law enforcement data with just one search. With cutting edge analytics and data linking, law enforcement personnel can get a comprehensive view of people's identities. Evidence-based policing allows them to better target investigations, generate leads and solve crimes. Using nationwide crime data, they can also detect patterns, predict upcoming events and deploy resources efficiently. Accurate Virtual Crime Center helps police agencies be more effective in protecting and serving their communities. To learn more about Accurate Virtual Crime Center, visit risk.lexisnexus.com backslash AVCC. And we're back and I'm speaking with uh, James Small, Director of Public Safety for the Village of Palmyra, Wisconsin. And uh, Chief, you just won a 2020 Innovative Approach to Problem Solving Award by the Wisconsin Policy Forum. And they recognize you for the your island concept of leadership and policing. And for our listeners, uh, island stands for inclusion, safety, laughs, authentic accountability, nourishment, and direction. So, so tell us about that. How'd you come up with that? And who are you, who's your audience? Well, I think I think that idea applies to any workplace that we're in, any group that we can be part of, we need to look at as an island because we we come together as a group and the people who are part of that group influence each other and we influence the behavior in the group and we have the ability to affect how things go within these groups. And when I started looking at these things, you know, when you're trying to design a, a workplace because you don't have money to buy yourself out of this thing, so you know you need to build a workplace that people enjoy, these become the things that are, are really important. And um, being an instructor, I teach um, undergraduate courses in, in business leadership and things like that. When you start talking to the students, even outside of the public safety realm, they all talk about you know not liking their job because they feel isolated. There's the in-groups and the out-groups and they're not being included in things. And you know there's the backstabbing and the drama and the lack of respect and it's just negative environment. And I think we see that a lot in public safety. It's very easy for us to fall into that because we go out and we see these really horrible things and that's what we deal with. That's our job is to go and respond to these 911 calls that are horrific. But then we come back to a workplace and then we play those out again. And you get the, the backstabbing and the, the gossiping and the things like that that make it really difficult. And when you look at the studies that have been done on public safety workplaces, the officers don't talk about their biggest stressors being the going out and going on that horrible call. They talk about the workplace stress coming from being internal in the, in the department. So it's, you know, they have a boss that's really overbearing on them or their coworkers aren't playing well as a team 
or things like that. Well, those are the things we can control. We can't control the 911 call. We can control how we choose to run our, our agencies and how each of us chooses to interact within that agency. So that's that idea of creating that inclusion and looking for opportunities as a leader to create inclusion and as an employee for the employees to look at a, a way of including others into that too and making everybody be part of that group and stand on equal footing. You know, how do you create a department that's safe? How do you create this atmosphere that's safe? And how do you incorporate civility and respect into that? And that's what I mean by safe in this, that you know that you're being respected and it's a civil environment because you don't need to worry about that backstabbing and the, the being blindsided by something or things like that. One of the things that we did to address that, because that was something that was really a problem when I first started, was each year part of our training plan includes training on civility. How do we interact with each other? Because when you, when you make the workplace better, they serve the citizens better too. That translates directly to the street. And then making it fun, having laughs in the workplace. It's gotta be fun. It can't be all serious all the time. And you know, there's research that's been done on this. I took a class um, by Mitch Javidi a while back where he talks about serious and playful and being able to zigzag back and forth through it. So some of that comes with the, it's okay to stop and pitch for the little league for a while, you know, stop and spend 10 minutes and, and pitch for them. It, you're not going to become a professional athlete by that, by any means. And they're all going to laugh at you at how horrible you are compared to them, but that's building that bridge to them too, but it's relaxing, right? It's fun. It's not just out there trying to bust people, bust people, bust people, bust people and keeping that negativity going. Yeah. Then um, when we talk about like authentic accountability in the workplace, making it be the, something that somebody feels accountable, not this accountability where I'm going to do this because I'm going to avoid punishment. We're going to do this because it makes us better as an organization. And the way we did that was through a just culture methodology of discipline. So the organization and the person all take responsibility in every single thing that happens. So we may have a negative result for something, but is it something that we didn't train the person on? Was the expectation not there? What's the organization's role in that versus just blaming the individual for doing something? Now, when you go back to the idea of that we have kind, compassionate problem solvers, that means to be a problem solver, you have to be a decision maker. That means that in a highly dynamic situation, they're gonna make decisions on the fly that sometimes might not always be the best. But is that bad decision because they were being reckless? Because that would be a discipline issue. Or is it that they just made a decision and it just wasn't the right one that time? Mm. Is that a training issue? And then you go on to the idea of being nourishing. How are we dealing with the wellness of our staff? Do we have an employee assistance program in place? Do they know how to access it? Are we providing for that? Are we providing for their continuing education you know, what training do they want to go to? What are they interested in? One of my approaches with the staff is I ask them what they want to do as part of their evaluation process. And what training do you, do you need to get to to get to that, even if it means that you aren't going to be working for us anymore when you're doing that? Mm. So we're not trying to trap them in our organization. So don't think of this island as having this big chain link fence around it. It needs to be open like that because while they're working towards whatever this next thing is that we can't provide to them as a small agency, they're going to be working for us, providing great work to us during that time. Mm -hmm. And then the idea with having direction is where are we going? 
you know, and how are we messaging that? You know, are we telling people don't fumble? Are we telling them to go out and score a touchdown? You know, that's the best way I can describe that is where are we going with these things and how do we do that? And then as an individual employee at the bottom, how are we bringing these things up through the organization to, because it can't just be one way. It needs to start at the top and it needs to start at the bottom and it needs to work its way through both directions. Well, I'm really glad that you uh, you cleared some of those up. When I first read about it, when I first saw about it, I, I was reading through the acronym inclusion, of course, makes sense. The safety, of course, uh, the laughs. Now, I was talking to someone else uh, earlier this week, uh, another um, uh, police podcaster about um, you know, humor on the job and cops are famous for humor on the job and we make fun of everything and we tell stories. And um, there's also, there's sort of a culture of, uh, you know, fall, falling into humor as your default mechanism, right? Like when things get scary or things get mm -hmm. horrific even. And, um, you know, we walk out of a crime scene, a horrific crime scene, and we're laughing because we haven't seen each other and we're just telling each other a joke or something funny about our families. And the media sees that, right? So uh, do, you, do, you, do you make mention of that to the troops that, you know, let's be appropriate with, with humor and, um, you know, let's, let's keep it affable, but let's temper it. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the goal is to not offend people, right? Some of this is you can't, sometimes you might, it's just going to be, it's the nature of the beast. People get offended for things that we don't think will offend them. Yeah. But, you know, there is, there is times in public safety. And I think we're all aware of that, that sometimes the humor might not be appropriate. And sometimes there's a more appropriate place for that than standing on the street where you're in public view and so on. That's not a, that's not a place for that because that person, say you're on a, you're on a death scene and you're, you're doing that, that person that's dead in there is the most important person in the world to somebody. Sure. And we need to be conscious of that, but that doesn't mean that the workplace can't be fun overall. You know, there's a, there's a point to be serious. There's a point to go out and have fun. And I think that you can largely build fun things into the workplace without being offensive to people too. And you can be respectful and it's still fun and it still can be funny. Yeah, for sure. And then when you talk about authentic accountability, I like what you said there. And, you know, I've, I've talked to others about, um, you know, mistakes of the mind or mistakes of the heart, right? You talk about maybe gaps in training. Um, sometimes if we have some hard and fast rules or policies or procedures, um, we don't take into account um, some of the situations that call for exceptions, right? And so I, I totally appreciate discretion in policing. Um, have you gone into disciplinary situations where uh, clearly an officer has crossed the boundaries of your, your rules and regulations, but they did it for good reason. Do you have an example of that maybe? Um, I'm thinking of, uh, we had a chief who talked about, uh, you know, offenses of the heart where, uh, you know, for example, we say that uh, if you're an unlicensed, unlicensed driver or, or a suspended licensed driver, that no ifs, ands, or buts, we just confiscate the car, right? You're out on the street, you're walking home, we're towing your car, right? And that doesn't take into account the, you know, single mom with a small child or a baby uh, out on a rainy night, 
with a suspended license and um, really we're going to tell her to get out of the car and um, you know maybe call her a uber or a taxi and uh, off we go um, you know we, we we sort of encourage and and have an expectation that our our cops are going to do the right thing in those situations yeah and and i don't have policies for the most part that have absolutes in them like that where you have a suspended driver you will tow the car every time we hire our staff because they're smart people and they're going to go out and make smart decisions and create smart outcomes so like when you use that as the example there of um you know turning a, a woman or a child onto the street in the rain so they can find an uber that they may or may not even have the money for in the first place mm-hmm. or walk home in the rain or things like that that's not going to create the outcome that we want at all. That's not building a bridge with her. That's not building a bridge with her child. That's not building a bridge with any of the people that know her. So look at the negative collateral consequences to that decision, which might be following the policy, but you're not getting where you want to go as an organization at all with that. That's one of those things that make us look bad, even though we might've followed the rule to the letter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and that's part of getting into this outcome-based idea is what it, what's the end game here? What are we trying to do? We're trying to get this person to stop driving, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we do that and how do we accomplish that? So like in that scenario, that person, if they're eligible for reinstatement of their license and just haven't done it yet, they're going to get an instruction sheet printed off from our Department of Transportation website that tells them how to do it. They're going to get that from the staff. They're probably going to get a 15-day notice that says correct it or we're going to cite you for that there's going to be a, a ride figured out for that person. Like we'll call some people in and so on to try to arrange for a ride and not let them drive away suspended because that's going to create other issues. Mm-hmm. So you create that barrier to them driving, but you don't have all these collateral negative consequences come from that. Now, some departments may not have the time to do that. You know, they don't have the time for the officer to spend a half an hour doing that, but um in our situation, most of the time that works and it builds that relationship with that person. So that's that person may very well be the one the next week that says, you know, I was dating this guy and he was running heroin out of this apartment complex down the street. And maybe you can help me with this. And, you know, you helped me, so I'm going to help you and so on. So you build that legitimacy because we're not trying to ruin her life. What we're trying to do is enforce the law. They, she knows she shouldn't be driving. You know, that's something that's a given when you get your license suspended, but they're making a decision to drive. So you create a little bit of that barrier, but we're also creating that bridge back to to fixing the problem. Yeah. Well, that's great that, uh, you know, when, when you talk about direction, that your officers know that, that you um, do give that sort of um, leeway when they make a, a good decision, as long as they can articulate uh, why they're doing what they're doing. That's That's great. Well, um, I've got to hand it to you. You know, when you talk about you, you are a working chief. I've seen the video. I've seen you washing cars and I've seen you wearing the turnout uh, gear. And um, you talk about, um, you know, cross training all your people. Public safety is uh, it's not that common. Right. So maybe in smaller agencies, you have more of the crossover. Um, We've seen uh, situations you you talked about. off, off camera, you and I talked about uh, the times where um, you don't go by rank, but whoever gets there first sets up command and assumes command. So all your people, I guess, are FEMA or ICS trained. And um, you talk about uh, somebody in a police function who may 
say, okay, I, you know, I got to join the fray and, and grab the turnout coat and start doing the firefighters duty. Can you, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, so our, our law enforcement staff are all cross-trained as fire and EMS responders also. And one of the things that we've worked on is being able to change hats during the time they might get out of a police car, turn their, put on their turnout gear that's in the squad with them, and then join a, join a firefighting team. So they do their continuing education in fire and EMS also. So there is, there is a training burden that comes with, with that. But the, the payback on it in a community like ours, where we're literally 20 minutes from everywhere, is we can get people on scenes really fast and have had exceptionally good outcomes um, from that. That's one of the things that our award speaks to is that we've had this massive improvement in outcomes that have came with the changes that we've made in the organization. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it literally is people savings people's lives. Yeah. And, and you talk also about stress, uh, internal stress and external stress. And we all know what the external stressors are when uh, we're criticized in the media or by our elected officials, or there's a protest about something or a national debate about use of force or bias or things like that. Uh, how can your, your program be used uh, to help officers deal with uh, internal organizational stress, administrative uh, stress, if, if you will? Well, I think that's the area of the stressors that we can control. I can't control some misguided thing that an elected official does or says or some initiative that they decide to push. That's beyond my control. I can try to influence it at the end of the day. That's what they're elected to do. But we control how we treat each other. We control how we act and we can control the internal environment within the department. And I think that's really, really what we have to focus on is what's controllable by us. Mm -hmm. And we know that this is a main stressor is this internal environment, administrative environment of the departments. And I think every police officer listening to this is sitting there going, yep, that's totally what gets me. Um, so we take everybody, we expose them to all this horrible things on the street, create all this critical incident stress, and then we bring them back into the workplace and make it worse by enhancing it, by making this other stressor where what we should be doing is becoming that anchor. We should become that place of safety and stability to help reduce all of that stress because we can't control anything outside of that organization, but we control ourselves. We control how we interact with each other and how we, how we choose to approach, um, approach the workplace. Well, that's great. I'm sure, especially in these times, uh, officers uh, would see administration or going back to the barn, back to, you know, if they see the captain or the chief, they're not worried that uh, they're going to catch them doing something wrong, but they're going to be acknowledged for the good work and the sacrifices that they make. So, uh, you know, tip of the cap to you for for that and, and putting that into your island uh, plan. And, um, I'd like to wrap up um, and thank you for uh, sharing uh, your island concept uh, for the work that you do at Palmyra and uh, the hats that you take on and off uh, doing your job there between police, fire, and EMS. And uh, we learned about another tool uh, to help us deal with internal and external influences and stressors affecting uh, our police uh, family today. Uh, thanks for your work. And, and for meeting with us here today. 
stay well, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you, James Small, Director of Public Safety for Palmyra, Wisconsin. Well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk about this, and I really enjoy helping make workplaces better. Awesome. Hey, and to our listeners, thanks again for listening. How do you feel about your agency? Do, do you feel the support? Uh, do you know that uh, if you color outside the lines a little bit in your rules and regs, if you do it for the right reasons, um, does your department understand or um, do you feel the support that, that you need to, to do the job the right way? Uh, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, what's going on in your agency regarding health fitnesses and practices that we didn't discuss today? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Write us at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. I've been talking with Public Safety Director James Small. Be well, stay safe, and thanks for your service. Thanks for listening. I'm Jim Dudley.